There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra. This time, instead of James, who's away on his holidays... I'm joined by Andrew Allen. Andrew, goodly invincibles evening to you. Goodly invincibles evening to you too, Andrew. Wow. <laughs> what a fucking day. I I I we, I just said look, we'll we'll press record and see what comes out because on many levels that was an extraordinary game at Allen Road today. You know, the stuff that happened, you know, just after kickoff, all the stuff that happened during it, hanging on for a win, six minutes of injury time, which turned out to be nearly 10 minutes of injury time, madness in, in the injury time as well with what, and we still hung on for a 1-0 win. And uh, how is your heart? How is your stomach? How are your bits? Are they clenched, unclenched? How are they doing? Um, everything is clenched. I think the, the, the declenching process will take at least 24 hours. Um, even when the even when the Arsenal game ended, I, you know, I wasn't wholly invested in Liverpool versus Man City, but then when that went into you yeah. know, stoppage time and you think, well, actually, hang on a minute, this could be Invincible's day, suddenly you're kind of willing another result and it's, you know, very tight downstairs again. Um, another 10 minutes of injury time in that game uh, as well. What the fuck? It's, yeah. I mean, as I, I said uh, straight after the Arsenal game, it was the game that didn't want to start and the game that didn't want to end. Yeah, um, it was it was just manic, and I'm just it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, just to kind of calm down and take it all in. You could see, you know, Saka after the game, Arteta after everyone just completely drained. I think. Sure. I, I was just looking through the pictures. There's a great picture on uh, that uh, David Price took, and it's William Saliba at the final whistle, and he sort of jumped up in the air to celebrate. And, and I saw Arteta. I was just watching the end of it there. I downloaded the second half just to have a look at a couple of bits. And, you know, Arteta on the sideline going crazy when the final whistle went and then trying to compose himself and then just enjoying – like – I don't know that any of that second half was in any way enjoyable, right? There was, no. you know, as, from a football fan's perspective, when you get across the line, when you get a decision or two that goes your way, maybe, and we'll we'll come to that. But but it was a question of endurance, I think. And and you know what's interesting is like we've been on this really good run, and you'll say to yourself or you might say um, on the on the podcast or on a blog or something, you know, there's going to be a day when things don't go quite right, you know, and you sort of prepare yourself. You try to steal, steal yourself for it. There's going to be a day where you don't play particularly well or the opposition play really well. And that's just part and parcel of football. And you're going to have to, I don't like it. I don't like yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I woke up this morning and I was nervous 
Mm. I mean, people may or may not know that I have a particular distaste for Leeds United. Um, that stretches back a, a long, long time. So I knew obviously I was coming on here and I mm. didn't want to be covering for, for James and for it to be a miserable occasion. Sure. So there was sort of a double-edged thing going on there. And then, you know, I went for a walk before the game and I was sort of strolling through the park and my girlfriend asked me, you know, what you're thinking about it was that classic moment you've seen in the fever pitch film where you kind of think about saying you know something really deep and meaningful but actually you were just like i really hope gabriel jesus is fit today or you know i just we just can't lose you know it was that type of day all morning it was mm. on my mind and um and then the game started and all i was praying was that we scored the first goal because i just had a feeling mm. You know, if if we if we fall behind, it's going to be a real slog to try and get back in a game, especially after the week we've had. You know, Liverpool was so stressful. Sure. Um, flying to Norway, playing that god awful game, but um, you know, no preparation basically. I mean, they, I don't think the team got back until late on Friday. They they sort of did a bit of a kick around on Saturday morning, and they were straight on the mm. train or bus or whatever it was back at, or maybe the plane back up to to Leeds. So. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible thing to come through a game like that. It has to be said at the end of this week, but you know, also knowing that at some point we've got to go again. <laughs> we've got to go again. That's it. That's the thing about this month is like there is no rest. There's no rest for the wicked. No rest for uh, the invincibles or anything like it. I mean, I was going to talk a little bit about the team, but there isn't really much to say other than Tommy Asu kept his place over Kieran Tierney, which I sort of thought might happen, and maybe we'll talk about that decision, but. The game kicked off, and within 60 seconds, the game had stopped because there was this situation where the referees were not in contact with fucking Mount Doom or whatever you want to call um, <laughs> Stockley Park, right? So, you know, the uh, the communications issue put a stop to the game, and it was really very funny when you think about it now, and you know, James, uh, I'm uh, fully aware right now, is is lying in a bed of ham on ruffles on his holidays, just basking it in, but he did a he did a tweet, you know, while this delay was happening, like, you know, if only there was some precedent for a game of football being refereed without technology. I'm paraphrasing here, but like, <laughs> thank fuck, thank fuck, in the end there was, there was technology, but it was a really weird sort of situation to occur in the Premier League. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it looked initially like it was just a problem between the officials, right? That yeah. they couldn't hear each other. But I guess once there's a, you know, a power outage, it becomes a slightly bigger issue because, yeah. I mean, if if it had suddenly become nighttime in the middle of the day in Yorkshire and the floodlights were due to go on, they wouldn't have been able to put them on. Sure. But, I mean, it just, it dragged on and on and on. And, I mean, it's... When you think about it, you know, yes, we could have played the game without VAR. <laughs> but in the 96th minute, if the game gets to VAR, I know we'll get to that, um, we'd be cursing that it wasn't mm. there. So, look, I mean, obviously, it was the, you know, they had to do it. They went through the process. It just took ages, though. Was it 37 minutes in total, I think the delay was? Yeah. Um, and obviously, having let the clock initially run on and on and on, well, at least on the TV coverage, mm. um, they then went back and what started it from the first minute yeah one minute and nine was where it started again with a with a leads throw on on their left i um, um i sort of in the gap sort of asked if people had questions for the the ask cast extra obviously right. and someone said should ben white be dropped for that missed pass you know 
<laughs> that was like the only thing that happened. Yeah, there wasn't much going on at that point. Um, and like a weird situation because the players had to go in, then they had to come out and do a little bit of a warm-up again. There was bizarre scenes with the referees doing their sort of synchronized warm-up. Um, then checking, like, was the Hawkeye working by holding a ball underneath the crossbar and all kinds of weird, strange stuff. So, yeah, it was, I think, about 38, 39 minutes. And I was I was genuinely thinking that within 10, 15 minutes of the restart, a player on one team was going to – was just going to pull up with a – a muscular strain, a hamstring or something like that because of this weird stop-start nature uh, to the start of the game. But thankfully, thankfully we didn't see that. But it was a it was a pretty even first half, I think. You know, Arsenal had some really good moments. There was some some nice play, but there was a statement of intent, I think, from Leeds very early on. They uh, Thomas Partey lost the ball and, and Sinisteric uh, cracked a shot not far wide. And just a little reminder to Arsenal that they were going to be in a game. You know, Leeds knew we were away in the week. We had the travel. The post-European hangover is a, a thing that applies and has applied for years, hasn't it? Even, you know, when we used to be in the Champions League, very often you'd, you know, you'd look and go, oh no, we're away from home. This is not great because it's going to take us 45 minutes to get going. But I thought the, the first half wasn't bad. It was a pretty even, pretty entertaining kind of a game. Absolutely. I mean, I, I I did fear a bit in the first five, six minutes because Leeds seemed to have us boxed in. Mm. We didn't really kind of work any decent positions up front. Um, passing was a little a little bit off, but it, it kind of came into it, I guess, is the best way. I mean, you know, Rodrigo, I think, kind of looked pretty dangerous. As you said, Sinistero had a, had a, had a go. Um, but then bit by bit, you just started to see the kind of – what what Clive Palmer calls is the one brain kicking into action. You know, suddenly the the gap seemed smaller, the triangles appeared, the guys started working the ball a lot up the left with a view to then, you mm. know, working the ball up the left to Martinelli, who would then try and get the ball over to the right via yeah. Jacques of Nerdegaard. And that seemed like a really clear tactic. Go one side, get it over to the other, see yeah. if you can pull off a, an opportunity. Um and by and large, I was I was like, you know, this is good football. You know, we're in control here. We just need to create chances, which were a little bit hard to come by. They were. I mean, I think what, what Leeds did was let us have the ball in our own half. And then as soon as we got towards the halfway line, they, they triggered their own press and, and tried to squeeze us a little bit. But they were content enough to have, for us to have it at the back. Um you know, knowing as well that we like to play a high line and they were going to look and, uh, and try and exploit space behind it if they could win the ball. So we did get on top, and I think we certainly did, um, you know, dominate the possession and dominate the territory. Um, probably should have been ahead when uh, Gabriel Jesus, the ball came through to Gabriel Jesus. I think there was a, a good moment when... Um, I don't know how, if it fell to Odegaard, he kind of slipped or whatever it was. But I think before that... They'd hit one into the side netting, and then there was a corner, and Ramsdale made a really good save low down. So it wasn't not that it was necessarily end to end stuff, but but Leeds' threat, which was obviously came to the fore in the second half, was present all the way through this game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really yeah, it's a good thing to recall that Ramsdale save because it came at a vital point in the match. As I said, mm. you know, falling behind today was not really an option, and he got down low made a very good stop, had that sort of you-will-not-pass energy about him early doors. Mm. Um, and then we kind of sort of took heart from that, really. Yet Jesus really sort of started to come into the game for a good 10-minute 
spell, I thought. And, you know, there was a good bit of football around about the 20th minute and 10 minutes later on the half hour mark, there was that kind of interchange in midfield with Xhaka and Erdegaard and he was sort of racing towards uh, goal, got tripped mm. up, still managed to get a pass out to Martinelli and the referee blew up anyway and then mm. Erdegaard had the kind of the long free kick. But, I, you know, Jesus was, when he starts to drop deep and starts running at players, you kind of go, okay, he's on it today. Um, it turned out, obviously, that was just a little moment he had in the game. In the yeah. second half, I mean, not so easy. But um, no, we were we were, we were looking good. I felt when we scored that you know we were really in the ascendancy at that point. No, I'd agree because uh, you mentioned that move which led to the free kick. That that one touch passing move through midfield. It was Odegaard and Shaka and um, came to Jesus and he was fouled twice. Actually, there was one foul. He, he tried to keep going. He was fouled again. Uh, I do think the way that we played the ball around the back at times was really, really impressive. Very confident. It's, it's a team, obviously, that's feeling pretty confident. The way that we, instead of just lumping it from deep, we actually played our way out of some very tricky positions from um, from when leads were high up the pitch, you know? Mm. So some of that football was, was really, really good. But uh, the goal, uh, I mean... I don't quite know what Rodrigo was doing. I think he was obviously trying to switch it over to the other side, but um, it's a really strange sort of pass to play in that situation. Yeah, I mean, he obviously thought quick switch of play, but mm. I mean, it was only something I've, I've looked at in the replays. And at the time, you know, I was watching it on a stream and I'm sure you mm. know thousands of people who were listening to this who were watching on a stream in the UK will say the same. I mean, sure. It's such a more stressful thing and you're not really getting the same... I don't know, replays or chance to kind of take it all in. And it was only when I watched afterwards that I noticed actually that Gabriel uh, Magalhaes kind of comes right mm. up behind him, which actually is one of the reasons why um, Rodrigo tries to go for an early first-time switch of play. So, mm. you know, it was a reaction to being under under pressure. And then, I mean, what happens next is just in- incredible. I mean, Saka does brilliantly to, to to get the ball back very quickly to, to Erdegaard. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, here we go. Yeah, Saka knows exactly where to run, um, darts inside, and the opportunity is there. You know, what are you going to do with the ball, Bukayo? And, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just trying straight in the top corner. I'm it just going to watch it again here, actually. Just because I haven't really seen a replay of it yet, because, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, he's trying... That's a ridiculous pass. <laughs> um... <laughs> Actually, the weight on the pass from Odegaard is excellent. Yeah. And with his right foot, that's a, just an unbelievable finish from Saka. With his yeah, wrong foot, you know? In the post-game stuff, he was asked about the goal and he just said, I just, you know, basically I'm paraphrasing, but he said as soon as Odegaard got the ball, I knew where to go. You know, and right. That's the kind of automatisms I guess we've been looking yeah. for. You know, I know what his strengths are. He knows what my strengths are inside the defence. And to be fair, like I thought Saka was, you know, he had, I think it was Pascal Stroik, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, on toast. He's not really usually a, a left back. No. It was just an emphatic finish, though, to find the top corner from there. It was one of those, like, absolutely, yes, clinical. Oof. So, do you, know so what it, do you know what it reminds me of, actually, the finish? Um, it's a little bit like Batistuta Wembley yeah, for Fiorentina. Fiorentina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when sort of true. Seaman is there and he, he's sort of going backwards a little bit and the same with, with Melier in the Leeds goal, but he couldn't do it. It was just gone beyond him before he could even get, uh, get his hands up. It's uh, an amazing finish. And that's, you know, three games in a row now where Bakayo Saka has been 
the match winner, you know. Um, yeah. Goal against Liverpool, or two goals against Liverpool, the goal against Bodo Glimt, and now the winner in this. I mean, that's... I mean, for a guy who was, you know, people thought, he's not really doing it so far this season. Uh, He's doing it now. And I don't think for a second that he wasn't doing it until now, but I can understand why there are a couple of questions. I just think, you know, the the tangible contribution that you look for for a player in his position is, you know, it's that. You know, in, in games like this, in moments like that, it's being able to take it and, you know, it's just top class. So it's now, what, five goals and four assists in 13 games this season? It's not bad, Um, is it? I don't think you can really argue with that. Um, And if he's just sort of coming into form now, then that's brilliant for us. You know, it's perfectly timed. Um, You know, and obviously I think we should, you know, pay lip service to to Erdegaard. I mean, great pass. And I think it's three goals and two assists for him. So he's Mm. sort of finding a level of productivity. Um, I don't think there was a, I mean... There wasn't a huge amount to scream about either way after that first goal, I didn't think, you know, uh, I mean, in terms of, uh, Mm. you know, the rest of the half, I mean, it was kind of like we were doing solid possession football, trying to keep them at at, at bay. Um, Mm. Yeah, they had us on a a couple of counters, backpedalling and whatnot. Yeah. So look. I mean, you're right. I don't think much happened. There was maybe a chance for Odegaard towards the end of the half where he just shot straight at the, at the goalkeeper. Um, and on the one hand, I would say that, that it's encouraging that Martin Odegaard is shooting more and is getting into positions where he's shooting more. I would just like to see a little more decisiveness, a little more power maybe in his shooting because I think he's capable of it. Um, just some of the efforts that he's had aren't quite there. Um you know, I think in, terms, in his in mind, he's always looking for the pass first. So, yeah, maybe, or he's looking for the kind of finish that that is almost the pass, if you like. Mm. Um, but if you think about the goal he scored against Brentford, where it was first time where he took it off the t- uh, the toe of Jesus and just fucking whacked it, uh, I'd like to see a little bit more um, him being a bit more emphatic with some of the chances that he has. And I realise that's maybe a small um, complaint on a day like today. So we get into the second half. And Leeds score a goal, (laughs) which I have to say, if that was disallowed up the other end, I would be extremely unhappy about. If Gabriel Jesus had scored that goal and they'd given, they'd overturned the decision because of whatever Bamford did to Gabriel, I think it was, you know, possibly a little bit of a foul, but... I think we got a little bit lucky there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was, you know, the classic 90 seconds behind what was happening. And I, I think I messaged you and I said, <laughs> was that was that as soft as it looked when I saw it first time? And you were just like, yep, yeah, absolutely. But you did also clarify that and say, if it had happened at the other end, I'd still be angry if, you know, the referee didn't blow for a, a foul. No, no. What I meant was like, if, if it happened up the other end, yeah, if it happened the other end, if it was yeah. Jesus who scored, I'd be furious if that goal was disallowed. Yeah, so yeah. I can understand why Leeds might be cheesed off about that. Um, maybe it wasn't subtle enough, you know what I mean, from from Bamford, where I don't think he necessarily had to make it look quite as much of a foul as he did, but I should look at it again, shouldn't I, really? Um I mean, it, it, at, f- at first look, it one hundred percent looks soft, and and it was the, it was exactly what you dread, isn't it? You've you've worked really hard to get into a one goal advantage. You've had the the break. You've obviously been told how to set up for the second half, and you're suddenly faced with 
you know, everything being torn up and you're starting again at one all. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he's just doing what a centre forward should do in that situation. He just sort of uses his strength to muscle the defender out of the way. Like, I guarantee you, if Harry Kane had scored that goal, it wouldn't have been disallowed. You know what I mean? It's that kind of, it's that kind of um, play that I think some players will get away with and some won't. And, I, you know, we got not luck, I suppose, but um, VAR and the referees were a bit generous to us there. Um, well, I mean, look, if, 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 they, if he hadn't made a decision, I don't think VAR would have called that one back. Mm, no, probably not. Um, probably not. Yeah. So, yeah, lucky. Definitely a lucky escape at that point. But, yeah. you know, it, it didn't prove to be a kind of warning that kicked us into, you know, no. into shape. Instead, we just sort of fell deeper and deeper into a, you know, a pit of despair, it seemed. Yeah. So, look, my uh, around 48 minutes in, my stream died for about five or six minutes. And at that point, you know, I could see that leads were on top and they remained on top during that period. I was kind of hoping, like, by the time my stream comes back, Arsenal will have sorted this out. We'll be, you know, we'll we'll be organised and and everything else. But we weren't. I mean, what do you put the what do you put the second half down to? Because it's it's normal in a game that the opposition have a period where maybe they're on top or they're a little bit dominant or where you just you know things don't go right. But very rarely does it last basically forty five minutes. Which I think is what happened in in this half. We we really couldn't stem the the dominance that Leeds had in terms of the intensity, the possession, the territory. Um, I'm just trying to think. I mean, it was it was it was so in contrast to the first half where we had the confidence to to play out uh, mm. from the back and to work triangles and work the ball up the, up the front of the pitch and stuff. It was so in contrast that it kind of reminded me a bit of that Leicester game last season where we played really well in a burst, got ourselves obviously in that instance to a two goal lead yeah. and then just completely went into our shell. Um, you know, Saliba made a bit of a mistake, which led to a, a chance for, for Bamford. And I think the crowd were really, really on it. And mm. I, I do think the crowd played a part in, creating a level of atmosphere that we struggled to to deal with and with every almost miss and every injustice and whatnot it just kind of became even more fervent yeah i mean ramsdale made a, another good save didn't he uh you know from um from bamford that time when he went through that was the one with his uh with his ghoulies i guess we have to say right i i think i missed that one because there was another one as well when when ramsdale made a save um that was later on so i'm just going to go back and and have a quick look at this one this was uh let me see what minute of the game this was minute 53 so i'll see if i can find that here um yeah it was um it was definitely nervy moments there and we struggled to get any kind of control over the game. Um, Ramsdale was screaming at people. Arteta on the touchline was just looking, you know, mm. you know, annoyed. And there were a lot of breaks in play. And every time he seemed to pass messages over to someone, he was sort of desperately urging them to show, you know, more composure on the ball, more yeah. concentration. I'm just looking at this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. That's that's very good and brave goalkeeping from Aaron Ramsdale's testicles. Yeah. 
<laughs> he stood up well to Bamford, quite how well he might stand up tonight, I'm not sure, but uh, that's a very, very big save, a mistake from Saliba, all right, for sure. Um, and Saliba gave away the penalty. The question I have about this, though, is the is the fact that in the build-up to the penalty being given, Leeds are very obviously offside. So I, I, we should have Dale Johnson from ESPN on um, speed dial here. Like, I don't quite know why that offside is not given. Is this one of those where it's in the second phase? But surely if the guy is offside, he's offside. If he takes it, he's offside, he's offside right? I don't know what yeah. phases of play have to do with the guy being offside when he's receiving a pass. So I don't quite I mean, understand why in the the check for the goal that wasn't looked at or taken into consideration because I think it's a penalty. There's no question in my mind it's a penalty when the ball hits Saliba's arm. There's sort of that slight movement. And you can see by the way he reacts. He's like, oh, fuck. He yeah, knows. It, he knows, absolutely. I mean, he's he's kind of overrun mm. um, trying to track the, the player and he's turned himself inside mm. and just watched the ball land on his hand. And yeah, instantly there's a grimace on his face. And I mean, I don't know about you. I was just, you know, the we retained possession for about 15, 20 seconds after that. And I was just waiting for the ball to go out of play, the penalty to be given. Yeah. It was, a sort of, it was so obvious from the, from the, from the get go. Yeah. From Saliba's reaction, the reaction of the Leeds players and everything else. Uh, I was, I was pretty sure. But when you look at the offside, I mean, have you seen the offside? Uh, I don't think I've seen it. No, but I then know. obviously, you know, last week we had an issue, didn't we? Where Liverpool scored, where, there was probably an offside in a certain phase of the play before the Nunes goal and someone was standing in an offside position and it forced Gabriel to make a decision and he, you know, faffed up in that instance. Yeah, I'll send you through. Hang on a second. I'll just send you through the uh, screenshot here um, by WhatsApp. It's on your WhatsApp now. So um, you can see this. I don't know which player it is, whoever's on the right-hand side, but he's like, Miles offside. Oh, the line, yeah, 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 yeah. And the ball comes back from there and then it goes into the box, you know? So it's not as if that phase of play or that passage of play had no bearing on what came next because if he'd just been given offside right there, as he should have been by the mm. linesman, then that situation doesn't develop, Saliba doesn't handle the ball and they don't get a penalty. So. Dale, John- Dale Johnson, where are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Come to us. Yeah, We will wait I mean, for I- his uh, ESPN column tomorrow. I mean, it's one of those ones where I think, clearly, if we don't get three points, that's the type of thing you kind of feel a sense of injustice about for yeah. the rest of the time. But <laughs> <laughs> in the circumstances, it's one that I could just I could just let that one, you know, it's like water off a duck's back this evening. Yeah, is there any real point in complaining seeing what Bamford <laughs> did with the penalty? Well, quite. And oh, I mean, one, I, I wasn't expecting him to miss. I don't know about you. No, I never expect anyone to miss when they're taking a penalty against Arsenal. I expected to rock it into the top corner and give the goalkeeper no chance. But they kept saying this thing like, Patrick Bamford, he's waiting for his 100th goal, his 100th goal for Leeds. You know, he's, he's been on 99 goals for 99 weeks or whatever it was. Is this the moment? Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> I, I, I had an Arabic uh, commentator for the entire of the second half and the energy that he had was like kind of peak 
Jonathan Pierce early '90s Capital Gold commentary, and it right. was just so nerve wracking. A lot of repeating <laughs> the player names and all the rest of it. But I didn't get any kind of facts and figures or any kind of real insight sure. because I don't speak Arabic. But um, yeah, I mean, look, I, has Ramsdale saved a penalty yet since he's been at Arsenal? Because obviously, there's Fernandez missed last year. He put yeah, he hit the, the post. post. Did he hit the post or no? He put it. Oh, wide. He hit the post and it went wide. Yeah, yeah. And then this one's obviously gone wide, but I don't. I don't think he saved one. No. No. Okay. So he's, he's just such a presence that he forces players just to just to miss yeah, with his mind. Just to miss. This is not the penalty that you're looking for. Um, look, uh, you know, it's a it's a let off. It's a let off because you know what minute was that in the game? Uh, if I go in here, it's minute. It's about sixty, about an hour, an hour in, is it? Yeah, it's on the hour mark. Yeah. It's on the hour. So if Leeds equalise on the hour mark. And that game continues the way it continued. I think there was something because they didn't score. Maybe it just got a little bit desperate. I think that goal would have given them the belief to go on and and probably win that game. So we got a little bit out of jail in that sense because, um, yeah, I'm not sure how we would have coped or how we would have handled things or how we would have how we would have dealt with it. But you know, I I, I do think that the the paucity of the attacking performance is certainly something we can talk about or certain, uh, something people will will discuss. But the defensive performance was really, under the circumstances, was really very good. When you look at some of the stats that are coming out, Ben White, five tackles, two interceptions, one clearance, two blocked shots, Gabriel Magayash, three tackles, three interceptions, four clearances, four blocked shots. Yeah. You know, um, you know, they're, well, one, they're, go on. Well, I was going to say, one of those blocked shots was just six minutes after the penalty. So that Sinistera guy yeah. had a, you know, and that block by Gabriel followed up with a with a, a second challenge to, to prevent the loose ball from being pounced upon. I mean, that was actually superb defending, like yeah. without a doubt. Like I looked at that and I was just like, oh, Gabriel, Killer, amazing, well done, thank you. Yeah, like, brilliant defending. Um, but there was definitely a franticness to Leeds's finishing. There was no composure there from start no. to finish. Um, I guess it's probably quite hard to be composed when you've got as as mad a crowd as they tend to have, kind of yeah. willing you on. Maybe, um, but I mean, they had the they had the best moments, didn't they? Because you mentioned that that shot that Gabriel blocked. There was a brilliant save from Ramsdale. Um, yeah who was sort of cleaned through again more than once the center of our defense was was exposed which hasn't really happened a great deal to be honest but i also think you know players like saka players like martinelli really contributed as well to the defensive part of our game you know if they didn't deliver what we thought they would deliver from an attacking perspective the way they tracked back the way they were diligent in their movement in their positioning when Leeds had the ball when they came forward was was an important um an important factor we made some changes obviously uh Tierney came on for Ben White Tommy Asu went to uh right back uh, Ramsdale made another good save from Aronson I think it was um I, I mean at that point it was quite obvious that Arteta was getting very frustrated that we couldn't wrestle any kind of control of the game because he, you know, he took yeah. off Erdegaard for Vieira, hoping that Vieira could bring some level of control no, it there. it didn't happen. And it, it did not happen at all. And I think there were a couple of kind of post-substitution 
uh, one-on-one chats on the touchline where he seemed to be trying to give him even further instruction mm. to try and make it happen. I mean, what, what did you make of Erdegaard's reaction when he went off? He looked a bit naffed off. And he, I mean, he very rarely completes 90 minutes. Um, I'd have to see it again, to be honest. Um, he just looked a bit kind of, um, he looked, he looked angry. You know, he didn't, I think okay. maybe some of that was with himself because he, he hadn't played brilliantly in that second half. Um, I don't mind but, that. I don't mind that. If he's angry, let me just see. When, when did that happen? When did that substitution I've happen? I've got that 72. 70, 72 minutes, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't look particularly pleased, does he? But I I don't mind that. I don't want him to be happy when he comes off. You know, and if he's coming off because he hasn't played as well as he can, then, you know, that's part and parcel of what you've got to do. And I suppose the beauty of what we've got this season or the benefit of the the bigger squad is that you can bring somebody like Vieira on. And I think the Vieira change was Arteta saying, okay, let's see if we can get a bit more control, if we can if we can put our foot on the ball, if we can, you know, gain a little bit of possession. But every time we got it, we we gave it away pretty quickly. So I think at that point, his... His only other option was to do the the Rob Holding thing, wasn't it? You know, I mean, that's it. I mean, what else can you do? Like, yeah. if you get to 75, 80 minutes of a game and you haven't been able to to uh, change the momentum of the half, there's no way you're going to change it in the final 10 minutes because of simply the, the game state with them 1-0 up at home, desperate for a goal. You know, there's no way that all of a sudden you're just going to play the 300,000 passes in, in the last 10 minutes. That's not going to happen. So the only real option was that that Rob Holding change. And, and uh, you know, he brought Jesus off. Maybe you could have brought Jesus off a little bit earlier. I don't know. But, um, you know, it was obvious. I think the only way we were going to take three points was by keeping it at 1-0. We weren't going to get another goal, I don't think. No, I mean we had that. We had one chance, didn't we? Which was the Vieira corner to Enketia at the near post. Yeah, and it was a good Nketiah flick. Actually, yeah. yeah, it was a good effort. You know, he flicked it and nearly found the the bottom corner, but it went into the side netting. And um, you know, if that had gone in, we'd have just put our feet up and relaxed. But as it was, it, you know, they went. I think actually that had they went straight up the other end. I think within a couple of minutes, and the Somerville, the substitute who came on, there was a cutback to around about the the 12-yard spot, so the penalty spot, and that young kid kind of blasted it over the bar yeah. and went to, his, went to his knees like he'd been shot, you know, he, head in hands. And well, yeah, you can understand. He, it's, a, it's a big moment, a big moment. Yeah. It's a nice piece of play, actually, and a good bit of play from Bamford, actually, to to make a flick, and then it comes, oh, I'm looking at it again, oh, my goodness, yeah. He's, yeah. he's gone full platoon there. Yeah, it's full platoon. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I was a bit the same in the <laughs> sitting in my office. I was like, oh my god, you know. Um, and then they, they stuck six minutes of injury time up, which I thought was a, bit, you know, a bit much. I was thinking, you know, four or five or something. Mm. Six seemed, you know, OTT. I agree. I don't quite know where they got six minutes from in that second half. Um, I don't remember there being any significant stoppage, maybe because of the the penalty and the VAR check. But even then, you know, there were two VAR checks, in fairness, now that I think about it. There was the VAR check. Did they not VAR check the... I guess for the penalty, there was the handball. And... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the subs oh. and what have you. I, don't, I still think six minutes was was over the top. And I did feel like six minutes gave it the potential for something mad to happen. 
Like three minutes, yeah, whatever. But like six minutes, it sort of gives you a, a bit of hope if you're the team that's chasing a game. And then we had that mad moment where Gabriel, well, the linesman, obviously, I think the linesman told the referee that Gabriel had kicked out. He gives Gabriel a straight right card, gives Leeds a penalty, and then we get VAR again. And it's Paul Tierney on VAR, of all people, to sort of save your bacon. He saved us a little bit in the, at the start of the first half, as, we, as we've talked about with the Bamford goal, and, and then this. But, I mean, it's very obvious that, um, that Bamford fouls Gabrielle first. Yeah. I mean, I, when, they, when they went to the linesman, the linesman made his recommendation, and suddenly the red card was pulled out and the penalty. I was thinking, have I, have I missed something here? You know, what have I yeah. not seen on the stream that they've seen? Because it looked clear as day that he'd been barged over by Bamford. He'd maybe, you know, slightly kicked out. But you can hardly say that the second incident is the one you're going to go on because obviously it's been provoked. Yeah. I got real um, Vieira versus Van Nistelrooy vibes off it. You know, the kind of kicking out from on the floor, mm. no real contact being made, the player kind oh, it's, of I'm just looking at himself. it again. Yeah, my goodness. Bamford, what a fucking absolute actor he is. He never touched him. He I never mean, touched him. It, at worst, there was a slight trip up with the, the, the kind of the second leg, but there was no, you know, the, no. The, the, the kick out from Gabriel, obviously petulant, not advisable, but... I guess in his mind, he was thinking, I've been pushed over here, so clearly I'm mm. not going to be the one who gets punished. Um, I was just willing them to, to go to VAR. I mean, obviously, the Arsenal fan, uh, players were all around the, the referee. They yeah. were, you know, Xhaka was around them. They were all in his, his ear waiting for, for a decision to be made. How worried were you, though, when the referee seemed to take as long as he did looking at it? Because I thought, you know what, he'll go over and have a look at this and go, oh, shit. Yeah, I didn't really see that in real time, whatever it was. Clearly, it's a foul by Bamford. But he looked at it for, for way, way too long for my blood pressure's liking. And I was I was worried at that point that it was going to come back. He did the, did the like, television screen thing, and the Leeds fans started to cheer. Then he pointed out the other way rather than at the, the, the penalty spot. I mean... Oh, yeah, <laughs> heart-stopping stuff. And I, at the time, I just assumed that the yellow card that then came out was for Bamford. But I've seen that actually he still booked Gabriel for, mm. for kicking out, which is annoying because really, you know, what is that? I mean, there's there's no major reason there to, to, to book him. No. Um, and obviously that's going to be added to his record. It'll tot up at some point. He'll end up getting a, you know, probably get a ban and stuff. Um but yeah, I mean, obviously the key thing was that there was no penalty, which I think at that point was, yeah, we were just done. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if if that had been a penalty, I have no doubt Ramsdale would have saved it. There's no, no hassle. And it still went into the, you know, eighth minute of stoppage time, the ninth minute of stoppage yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Then they won a corner in the ninth minute of stoppage time. You're just like, oh my God, like just end this damn game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was... Um, I don't quite know how to explain it other than I just wanted it to be over. It was it was ridiculous. Like ninety the ninety ninth minute. Keeper came up. Yeah, I mean I mean look, beating leads is good. I'm like you, I don't really um have a lot of uh, fondness for, for Leeds United. But there are games 
in a season when uh, look the obvious thing to say is like in in another season last season or the season before we wouldn't have won this game or we would have lost this game whatever it was. we certainly would not have won this game in the last couple of seasons and maybe there's a touch of good fortune to it but i also think there's something about the way that this team is is capable of producing a result even when we're not necessarily playing well. And what's been interesting about this season is that for the most part, we have played well. Played well against Man United, played well against Liverpool, played well against Spurs, played well against the the teams that everybody said, well, you should beat them anyway because, you know, they're nobody, which of course is nonsense, but you still have to, to, to go out and do it. But there's something pleasing about not playing particularly well and still coming away with three points. Um, like, I prefer it the other way. I prefer to win and to score more goals, but, you know, the the the, the season is going to be up and down. There are going to be games where it doesn't go your way, and, and when it doesn't, usually it means you drop points. Today we didn't, and that's fucking great. No, I think context is absolutely everything in this instance, and... You know, if this was a, you know, we'd had a 10-day break coming into it and plenty mm. of time on the training pitch and we'd produced a really bad performance and scraped a 1-0 win, mm. you might go, okay, what's going on here? But given we've beaten Liverpool, we've gone to Norway, we've changed the team around, we've got tired legs. I mean, we looked very leggy, at, you know, in the last 20 minutes of that second half. I think particularly someone like Ben Ben White, for example, who you don't usually see get taken off or certainly doesn't get taken off with 25 minutes ago or so or 20 minutes ago. Yeah, I think Even Odegaard, you know, that might play into the Odegaard decision yeah, as well because he yeah. played, uh, you know, on, on Thursday. They they were just players who looked tired. And, I th- you know, after the game, Arteta absolutely was right to point at the the courage, the determination, the resilience, you know, mm. those are the those are the things right now that we're, we're looking to do. And, you know, it's no small thing to to remember that you know Chelsea won earlier in the day Spurs had won last night mm-hmm. um we're being chased by teams and we have to we have to get results by hook or by crook yeah. and today look it wasn't pretty but in many respects it's going to be more memorable than some of the pretty results i think we get this season because of the way that it played out yeah i mean an extraordinary game with an extraordinary finale conclusion from start to finish, it just felt like something mad was was happening, and it just depended which side of the madness you were going to be on. And we're on the we're on the right side of that madness, thankfully. So, <sighs> my goodness. I, I mean, I think I think there's something which we didn't have last year, which was we now go into a European home game, and there's almost an opportunity to draw a line under it using the PSV game. I think. Um, you know, change the team up, mm. uh, home fans opportunity to kind of, you know, basically draw a line under this game and then go into the Southampton one, which again, I think will be a, it is Southampton next weekend, isn't it? Yeah. Another, will be another tough away game. Uh, I think having a home game in between and, you know, maybe we'll get to this in, in the second half, but that home game not being Manchester City is... Immense, yeah. I think, right now. <laughs> I saw somebody, somebody, I don't know if it was directed at me or if it was on the Discord or is on Twitter or something, but somebody was going, oh, you know what, I'm a bit pissed off that we're not playing Man City this week. This could be the perfect time to, to play them after they've been beaten by Liverpool. I was thinking, you know, I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad we're not playing Man City this week. I know yeah. it's kicking the can down the road, but I do think that 
there were obviously elements of fatigue in the in the performance and look you only have to be two or three or four percent lower than normal for uh, another team in the premier league um to be able to take advantage of that i think leeds had a much much better second half than we did they there was much more energy about them and they had a whole week to prepare for this game. They didn't have to travel to the Arctic Circle. They didn't have to come back. They were able to prepare properly on the training ground and, and all the rest of it. And I think that played out in the second half because I thought probably the first half is where Leeds would be the strongest because they're going to try and take advantage of a team that, that has a slow start. But as it turned out, you know, the first half was was better from our perspective and we just could not get we couldn't make it click in that second half at all, which um, I'm sure will be a worry on some level to Mikel Arteta, like the inability to to sort of halt that momentum or at least stifle the threat of Leeds. I think that might be something that concerns him, but more than anything, I'm sure he'll be delighted with the, the, the three points and the effort as well. Like even if it was tired, it wasn't like, players gave up. I, as I said earlier, I think the defensive effort was really, really good. Um, we were more exposed defensively than we have been, but at the same time, there was a sort of, not backs to the wall, but 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 people were giving, you know, every last inch of everything they had to make sure that they were in position to, to try and block things when we were exposed. Yeah. I mean, look, we're getting a lot more clean sheets away from home than we are mm. at home at the moment. And I think, obviously, if you're going to defend your goal like that, it's going to probably come at the expense of some of the attacking, free-flowing football sometimes, especially when mm. you're you know, in front in a game already. I think you're more likely to defend uh, you know, or sit deep and, and feel under pressure when you're away from home defending a lead than if that's necessarily the case at home. And um, look, I, I, I can't speak highly enough of the the team at the moment i it's absolutely incredible to think that they've won nine games out of ten is that at this the, point. what was the stat is that like our best our, ever start never, to a- well it's our it's our best start in the premier league but we've i don't think we've ever won nine games out of the first 10 ever so or <sighs> if it is it, it goes back so far that you know yeah. everything was in black and white um we so even are, before my time, <laughs> we are being lured into a situation where you start to hope bad things, well, good things, but this is what they lure you in now. <laughs> now, you know, I started the season, yeah, top four, please. Thank you very much. Even that's good, that's going to be very, very difficult. But you're suddenly looking at a league table where there's a four point gap. We look good. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was, it's interesting because I think the best start we've made previous to this was like the 2007-2008 uh, year when it was the, the young kids mm. led by you know, Adebayo up front, Fabregas in the middle. And we were electric that first part of the season. Yeah. And, um, and that was, I, I maintain that's one of the most painful seasons we've ever experienced because it was so, so good followed by so, so bad. So, Yeah, well, look, um, let's try and focus on the good. Let's <laughs> keep our minds positive because, look, like you say, nine wins out of ten, even if today was not our most accomplished performance, you don't win nine wins or uh, nine games out of ten by accident. You just oh. don't do that. 
Um, so it is really positive. It's really positive to go away from home and win a game after a European away game as well. Like you said, we've got a big one on Thursday and then another away game in the Premier League. So, look, it's it's hard not to get a little bit excited and a little bit hopeful and a little bit optimistic. And, you know, on a day when Man City have lost... Um, you know, you 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 allow yourself to to dream just a little bit, but we have a long way to go. Um, but whatever else you would say, this is a this is a group of players. This is a team that demonstrate a a kind of desire and a kind of as Ramsdale said last week. There's a fire inside, and you can kind of see that in the way that they play that they're striving for something that we're all striving for as well. We're not striving, but we're hoping that they will do, you know? Um, and that slight X factor, whatever it is, that togetherness, that 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 consolidation of ambition that is then manifested through performances is just really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've built up momentum and momentum's everything. Mm. And like with the games coming as thick and fast as they are at the moment, just trying to get those points on the board, as many of them as possible before we all sort of break up for a bit. Mm. Who knows what's going to happen after, after Christmas? I mean, we just, yeah. it's, it's impossible to predict. Um, you, you, you do kind of realize how tired some of the players are at the moment, but at the same time, you realize that all of the different teams are kind of being, I mean, all the teams in Europe are being, put through this mill at the moment sure. and will continue to be in the new year. So I think, you know, you start to look at January and you think we might need a, a player here, a player there, if mm-hmm. we can get something, especially if, you know, there's tangible Champions League football on the line. Sure. Um, we won't want to make that mistake and, and leave ourselves too short like maybe we did last year. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So look, it's, it's good times. It's good, good times. times. Good times and... Uh... Being top of the league is a is a nice place to be. Um, all right, we will leave it there for part one. We'll take a short break here. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at A. Allen Sport, at A. Allen Sport, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Andrew, as you are the, uh, the guest today, I give you the honor of the, the first question. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm going to go straight to the Discord where Fleds asks... Is Takahiro Tomiyasu the new Bakari Sanya? <laughs> you know what? I actually think that is a reasonably good comparison. Mm. Um, because there's a consistency about him when you put him anywhere on the pitch. Uh, I remember Sanya doing it for us couple of times at center half, I think um, maybe when we were down to 10 men or something. I can't remember the context of him playing at center half, but I do remember him playing there right back, Mr. Consistent. He played at left back for us. I do think Tomiyasu struggled a little bit today. I don't think it was his his best performance. Um, certainly, I'd be curious to know why if the decision to play him there last week was very specific, I think we understood it was quite specific against a a very particular opposition, a very high quality opposition. And especially when you're uh, talking about Mo Salah, who did that, that goal today, by the way, the Mo Salah goal, holy moly. What about uh, you? You said it to me that it was like the, the Henri goal against Chelsea, where he just sort of, was it Desai or and Kudicini? I, I can't remember. No, I think that was, well, it was Terry. I think he muscled off the ball, but the ball just kind of lands out of the sky and he just sort of spins on mm. it and takes the defender, you know, away from him in the process before freeing up the space. I mean, Oof. Salah had a lot more to do because he was yeah. a long way from goal, but yeah, some finish. Some finish. But, um, you know, Tommy Asu was brilliant against Salah last week to the point where Salah was taken off. But I was sort of curious as to what he thought about this game. Like, was the start a reward simply for playing as well as he did? You know, the fact that Tierney played... Um, did he play the 90 the other night? I'm not sure. Near enough. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I did wonder if maybe a natural left-back might have been better for, for this game. But I do think the Sanya comparison is, is... I know exactly where he's coming from on that one. Yeah, I did. I did wonder today because Rodrigo started on the right and likes to cut in on mm. his left, and he did have a kind of early effort. And I did wonder whether it was a sort of similar thing, you know, Tommy Asu being asked to play there to show him inside and being able to tackle with the right foot and stuff. Mm. Um, on the Sanya stuff, I think you know Sanya was incredible in the air, and I think that's something that Tommy Asu thrives at. And both yeah. of them are kind of defenders first, as opposed to. Um, you know, wing backs in the in the form of like an Alexander Arnold or something. Sure. So there's something there, and there's a versatility there because, as you said, you know, Sanya played in different positions. Uh, very low key individuals as well. Just yeah, about, yeah. Just get on with the it, match. Yeah. You know. Um, so yeah, look, I I can see those. I can see those similarities for sure. Absolutely. Twenty six tackles Leeds made in the game, um, which keeps them think- well and truly top of the uh, the tackle table. I think they may have made something like 20 of them in the first half, though. Right. Which says a lot about our ability to get out. You know, we just weren't on the ball at all. Um, 35 tackles attempted, 26 successful tackles for Leeds. Um, Tenacious. Only 22 
attempted tackles for Arsenal, which when you consider how under the cost we were in the second half, I don't know what that says uh, exactly about us. But um, I, I also like this one on the Discord from Johnny Holland. Uh, Tommy Asu was phenomenal again today in both left and right back roles. What do you think of using him in the Partey role next time he's inevitably out injured? Strong with both feet, great on the turn and superb recovery running. Uh, he is the latest in the long line of fullback slash defenders who are being earmarked for a DM role at Arsenal. It's like, it's <laughs> a glorious tradition, isn't it? The new Johan Juru, yeah. Um, new Colo Ture, Thomas Vermalen at DM, you know, he, yeah. he really could do a job. I mean, given, given Ben White's actually played that sort of defensive midfield role in the Premier League, mm. he'd probably look to him first, I'd imagine. But um, yeah, I mean, he, Tommy Ass is he's a very neat and tidy player, technically. As you've said many times before, you never worry about him on the ball. No. Um, he did get caught today. There was one where he got caught and... Um, I wonder, you know, would he have got caught on that if he was at right back and receiving mm. that ball in the right back area? Just maybe sometimes when you're in your not in your natural position, um, it can be a little bit diff- uh, difficult to judge things. But for the most part, you know, he's technically always very good. So if, if we assume that um, Tierney plays against PSV on Thursday, mm. I mean, do you think we're now in a situation where Tommy Asu plays against? Southampton on Sunday. Don't know. I mean, it depends we, we, on on Zinchenko maybe as well because uh, you know he's around. I mean, uh, we had a question about him actually from Karan sixty nine on the Discord. He said, "Do you think Zinchenko's injury record is is becoming a concern?" And it was quite interesting, wasn't it, to hear Kieran Tierney talk about, "I haven't really played much this season. I haven't." You know, it's been a tough start, blah, blah, blah. But he's appeared in pretty much every game and has played more minutes than Zinchenko. I mean, he's played more minutes than Tommy Asu and Zinchenko, I'd imagine, Tierney. I think he made six starts up to um, mm. today and then played 20 minutes at the end there as well. I mean, yeah. I get he's not got the... Tierney's not had the opportunity to build any kind of... Yeah, momentum in his own game. You know, it must be annoying not knowing whether or not you're going to start mm. matches. I can see that. And he was spoke very candidly in the week. I thought it was interesting that he was one of the people that was put in front of the media. But obviously, the club didn't mind him being that person to go and talk pre pre game about his circumstances. And sure. he was quite happy being honest about it. And he doesn't seem. I mean, he said himself, I'm not angry. Obviously, I'm gutted. It's not going to you know, affect the way that I approach training and stuff. And I think this is exactly what we need across the entire squad if you're going to do what we're hoping to do this season, which yeah. is, you know, go the distance. Um, I, I I just think we're, we're, we're lucky. We've got a lot of players who are capable of playing. I say lucky. I mean, it's by design. I mean, we've got a lot sure, of players yeah, yeah. who are capable in various different positions. They're all eager. They're all playing pretty well at the moment. You know, this is this is all positive. No, I agree. It's a consequence of having a a deeper squad and a, a higher quality squad. Is that there are going to be some players who, you know, ordinarily would have been first choice, and now maybe aren't going to play every single game. But it doesn't mean that their role, even if it's, let's say, in inverted commas, diminished, it doesn't make it any less important. You know. That's the thing about this. I think this is maybe something that some of the players might have to get their head around. Is that like, okay, Kieran Tierney, you're a great left back, but you have not played a full season for Arsenal yet since you've arrived because of various injury issues. So if we can keep you basically injury-free between now and May, 
and you play probably more minutes or make more appearances over the course of this season than you have done in any of the other seasons where you were first choice, is that not a bigger contribution to the team? You know, and it's that it's sort of changing that mindset is that like, okay, what you want is to play every game, but you can't, you cannot play every game. No player in this team is going to be able to play every single game this season. No way. Can't be done. So you've got to manage the minutes. And I think what we're seeing now, maybe in some ways, is is Mikel Arteta managing minutes. That might go to the Odegaard decision today. It's not necessarily that Odegaard was playing particularly poorly or any poor, any more poorly than anyone else in the second half. But it's like, okay, we've got to try and change something and we can also manage his minutes at the same time. And I'm, I'm sure those conversations are, are being had with the players. Sure. You know, it's the easiest the easiest means for Arteta to have a you know to explain why he's making certain situations. Mm. I mean, um, no, I, I think I think we're, uh, we're we're in a we're in a good way. I mean, Tierney this time last season, everyone will remember, had kind of lost his place for three to four games to to Tavares, right? Mm. Um, it's very easy to sort of think short term, you know, two, three games here and suddenly everything's, you know, Kieran Tierney's going to be sold because he's lost his place and all the rest of it. I mean, Tierney ended up playing mm-hmm. a lot of football last season, even after that little hiccup where sure. Tavares was sort of bedding in. So, look, it's so easy to forget how long the season is. It's so easy to forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this season in particular as well, where we don't know what the impact is going to be on players who go to the World Cup in the middle of a season and players who just stop playing in the middle of a season. That's another thing that, that people are going to have to get uh, used to or come to terms with. We don't, we've no frame of reference for what this is going to do to, to footballers at all. Like we don't, it's not happened before. So nobody can really predict what the physical impact is going to be on players who are, you know, when they're going week by week by week, what, what is it they call it? Periodization, where, mm. you know, sometimes the best thing for a player is to just keep playing him, even if he's slightly tired or whatever else. It's just that keep playing him, keep playing him. And if you stop, then potentially you could end up with, with injuries. And I suppose it's not much of a surprise, is it, that we saw some stuff during the week about how, Arsenal are going maybe to do some warm warm weather training in Dubai and they're going to play a game against Leon, play a game against AC Milan. There might be other games as well during that period because Just all, all the clubs... take one of our ex-strikers. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, everyone, every team is going to be in the same situation. So, yeah, they're just going to have to get used to it this season. So, um, Shall I go with another question? Yeah, why not? Um so there's been a lot of talk about Gabriel Magalhaes mm-hmm. after the game. I think a lot of it potentially clouded by the incident in stoppage time. But mm-hmm. um, let's go with this one. So at Sagara Daniel on um, Twitter says, I don't know how to feel about Gabriel's tendency to channel early Koscielny's calamitous spirit. True, he's been pretty solid most of the time. But when you're aspiring to be in a title race, the kind of errors he has been making are costly. Thoughts? Question mark, and that was echoed by quite a few people. Uh, at Vo underscore Shoki on Twitter said, "Good evening, guys. Can we agree that one day Gabriel is going to cost us? He's turning into Jacker 2019-20 season. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. He needs to keep his emotions in check." Um, and there were more. There were more like that. There was loads. There were like loads. lots of questions about this, and I think this this is. Um it's a really interesting one. We had one from on the Discord from Gambling Blues who says Gabrielle criticism overblown. Um, 
I mean, obviously, he gave away the penalty against Spurs. That, I think, was the last part of a sequence of errors that I don't think he was completely and utterly culpable for. And I think today, very obviously, he was fouled first by Bamford. But if I was the the Arsenal coaching staff, I would definitely have a word with him about his reaction. Because that kick out, even if he didn't make contact with Bamford, even if Bamford made uh, the most of, well, you know, he made a meal of it. He was acting and, and pretending like he got kicked when he didn't. What I think you want to see from your central defender in, in that situation is just for him to get knocked over. And then it's a foul. There's no two ways about it. There's nothing else to that incident other than a foul, a free kick to Arsenal. Whereas he does have an emotional response to certain things. The Manchester City game last season, where he got booked for something I don't know what for, something he said maybe, that's what they said. And then he got that uh, second yellow card for the foul on, on Gabriel Jesus an incident where he probably could have just not got involved. But because he was slightly emotionally up, he went for it. And he does have that. And I think that's part of that, that. That can be a really good part of a defender's game. But you have to be able to, to channel that in the right way. You know, you have to know when not to react. So I get why people are a little bit concerned from that point of view. He shouldn't have kicked out today against Bamford. But... We talked about his block in the first half. Very rarely, you can go through the stats, um, which I do, you know, every time I do the player ratings on Arsblog News, I go through the stats. I have a quick look and and just see if there's something I've missed. Mm. Very rarely does a central defender block four shots in one game the way he did. Very rarely does he make... Uh, let me just go through these again. I'm going to say something. As you're speaking, mm-hmm. Arsenal have just tweeted about Gabriel. Right. 100% aerial duels won. Okay. but Four what, clearances. What was that? Uh, aerial duels, like 100% could be one. You know what I mean? Well, it could be, yeah. Four <laughs> clearances, four blocks, 90% pass accuracy, eight duels won, three tackles won, and then they've gone with the heart face how about that performance from gabby today gunas strong arm so <laughs> they're aware of the, <laughs> the the stuff that's going around obviously so seemingly yeah kind of maybe trying to point out that the stats suggest actually this was not a bad performance by your center back i think generally i think this was a really good performance by gabrielle um like we mentioned saliba gave away a penalty Saliba gave a chance to Bamford, which Ramsdale saved with his with his knackers, yeah. you know. Um, so it's quite funny, I think, that Gabrielle is being singled out for criticism for what I think was a better performance, defensive performance than than Saliba's today. Um, yeah, I don't think there's been a single question saying, "Do we think it's time that Saliba had a little a little break a off little the back down, of yeah. you know?" His his handball mistake here is giving the ball away. Obviously, earlier in the season he scored an own goal. You know, yeah. this, that, none of that today. So I think I think there is a sort of a favoritism being shown to the new boy. Look, I don't think 
Gabriel will know or care or hear any of this going on. I'm sure he won't, hopefully. But mm. um, I think he can be bloody proud today because there were, I made notes during the game and I said, how many, how many clearances, blocks has Gabriel made? And I think that came not long after the, mm. uh, the Sinistera one. Uh, where he made that incredible, incredible block. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. look, I I get that he's a, an emotional character and I get that we need to maybe temper that sometimes. And I think if the game, if that incident had happened in the 75th minute, you know, the, the stoppage time one, mm. and you had 15 minutes left and he was on a booking, I'd be quite concerned about his presence on the pitch, but only because of the fact that he's worked up, not because I question his quality as a as a defender. I mean, he's sure. a massive unit. Yeah, and, and the other thing to remember as well is that he's 24. Yeah. You know, which in the life of a centre-half is still really, really young. Um, you know, so I think we need to just... Uh, look, I, like I said, I understand like if people have some concerns about certain aspects of what he does, but like he's been ever present this season. I think they said something on the TV today that he's started the last 40 something games for yeah, Arsenal in the Premier like League. Some ridiculous, yeah, 42, 40, something like that. I mean, I, I think only Saka's started more in a row. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, he's obviously a key component of the Arteta setup. Um, and I think we know from Mikel Arteta that if you're not doing what he wants you to do, if he feels that your game is not where it needs to be, you're not in the team. Someone mm. else is getting a go. So, I mean, he said, I think Arteta said earlier in the season, you know, I think it must have been after the Fulham game where Gabriel sort of saved his own bacon by scoring the goal and he was mm. picking up the you know, Gabriel's approach to the day-to-day. He was saying he's a completely different character, he's far more focused, mm-hmm. all this type of thing. Um, there's an interesting side to this. Do you th- and, and this was made more as a comment by someone, which I'm going to kind of promote as a question to you. So, okay. at Gunnar Punner said, you've got an English, an honest English striker and a foreign defender with a reputation. They gave the red card and reputation alone there. Gabriel has entered Xhaka, David Luiz territory with refs. And then someone said, should we replace if this were Granite Xhaka would, if this were, you know, Gabriel Gabriel. Magalhaes. So do you think he's now developing a reputation there as someone who needs to be looked at by referees? Maybe. I I, another one on... Uh, Twitter here from Hendrix's God 85 at Hendrix's God 85. He said, is Gabriel being targeted because he reacts? Had a great game, but could have cost us the result. Players seeming uh, to kick out at him to see if they can get him carded. There might be something to that. There might be something to the, um, to the way that Bamford went in on him, knowing that Gabriel might react the way that he did, which is why I said, if I was the coaching staff, I was the manager, I'd be talking to him, you know, about that. And it's difficult sometimes. And again, 24 years old, he's still quite young. It takes time to mature as a as a person and as a player. But, you know, you take that aspect out of his game or you just sort of teach him that you don't need to react in every situation. Like something, just take count to 10, you know, that classic, just count to 10 and just see what happens then. Um, but it might be a case that, yeah, look, he, he is he is p- possibly being targeted by the opposition because they know he might be an emotional weak link. I don't know that he's necessarily a defensive weak link 
because, you know, I've seen people today, uh, I had a Twitter conversation with somebody and, and they said he's a liability. And I'm like, no, you, you, that's way, way too harsh. You, you cannot be top of the league and you cannot win nine games out of 10 if you've got a liability at center half. Just can't mm. do it. You can win three or four, but you can't be top of the league with a liability at center half. No way. No way. Yeah. And I think that moment has overshadowed what I think was a good defensive performance by Gabriel. So, Yeah. I mean, if the referee just gets it right first time, we probably mm. aren't having 15, 20 questions about him. But mm. yeah, there we go. All right. Here's one from Aman, who's on Twitter, at Aman Skella, I think it is. And he said, given our fate is likely going to be decided by our away form, should we set up in a different formation away? Given the pace we have in attack, surely a three or five at the back would suit us better. Our high line against teams uh, will come back and kill us eventually. Mm, I mean, I feel like we've been doing quite a lot under Arteta to adapt to what opponents offer us. I don't think you have mm. a kind of blanket away formation per se. You, you try and adapt to, I mean, not just the qualities of the opposition but also the qualities that you have available to you on a match day and at the moment when your players are playing every three days and there are tired legs and we don't know who's I was going to say in the red zone but having (laughs) once spoken to Colin and Gary Lewin they said that the red zone didn't actually exist as a thing it was a sort of you know anyway going off point here but yeah I think I think I think it's uh, it's I think we're adaptive. I think we're adapting a lot as it is. I think we're doing mm. a good job, and you don't want to over change things because ultimately we've got a team who seem to be very attuned with each other at the moment. Um, mm. Some of the football we played in the first half was good. We just happened to have a a bad second half, and I think you can point to the the the, the aggression that Leeds showed and the fact that they had nothing to to lose, and we were defending a, a lead. I think if the game was nil nil at half time, we might have actually probably been a bit bit better in the second half um there was a sort of mental thing going on there um so yeah, yeah we, I, I wouldn't say chuck more players on the pitch or no. you know chuck more strikers on the pitch or anything we had something to defend that was the thing wasn't it from mm. what we did in the first half that um you know clearly leads were better but we had something to to protect which maybe if we didn't have we could have turned things around a little bit in the in the second half but it is weird the way momentum in games can can just completely go. And it's so hard sometimes to to turn that around, um, you know, away from home as well. And just moments. There are moments in a game where you think it, it was sort of a little bit like the Palace game where, yeah. where you know, we, we were under pressure, I think, in that Palace game when it was just 1-0 and away from home and we got the second goal and then it was, it was done. Now, I know the second goal came late, but... You know, a second goal in that game would have completely done it as well. It would have just killed any Leeds momentum. It was just, yeah, we couldn't get on. We couldn't get on top. So, I'll hand it over to you. Um. Okay, so this one is from at Reasonable Rob, who says Gabriel Jesus looked well off the pace. Do you think that that was a consequence of the double head injury last week? And does it suggest that Arsenal Arteta botched the concussion protocol? Um, I mean, I think I know what you're going to say to that. Well, I don't know. You know, 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about it on the Arscast Extra last week. We don't know if he was knocked out or not, if he was properly concussed. He went through all the protocols, apparently, and, and came through okay. I think you would say that he didn't really look 100%. Didn't look 100% today. Um, but whether it's a consequence of the head injury or or just he had a bad game or whatever it is sometimes we put two and two together and it you know four makes a lot of sense but it may not be it may not be the case i, I what i did think was interesting was how deep he dropped today at times to pick the ball up and sometimes he got it forward quite well sometimes he helped link the play pretty well but i don't remember a game where he has actively dropped that deep before and i don't know if that was instruction from Arteta, or if that was just him playing, trying to play his way into the game, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I felt in the first half that he was actually pretty good. You know, there were definitely a couple of bursts forward. I thought he suffered when the team suffered and when we couldn't hold the ball in midfield, he was just this lone man almost floating around, having to deal with quite a few defenders around him. And Mm. consequently, he found it difficult. I, I, I don't really think the injury situation came into it I feel like you know if he hadn't been ready Arteta wouldn't have picked him why risk it I mean he'd already kind of had that conversation in the aftermath of the Podo Glimp thing and Eddie and Ketia scored against Leeds you know scored the the goals against the Emirates uh, uh, late last season obviously knows Ellen Road knows what it's all about having played for them so Mm. I, I don't think that had anything to do with it I just feel that he had a, a bad game because the, the team in the second half had a, had a bad game. Um, someone also said that uh, it's at Seski Art said he scored only five goals in, in, in 10 matches. How many goals do you now expect him to score by the end of the season? And what would qualify as a successful season for him? I mean, five and 10 is not bad. Five and 10 is not bad. I mean, I think he probably should have had a couple more. Um, like he should have scored today. That that chance he had at the back post where he just sort of clipped it beyond the goalkeeper and then clipped it over the bar. Yeah. He should have scored there, I think. I mean, he look, it's it's always that thing. He should have scored like he had to deftly chip it over an on-rushing goalkeeper from an extremely tight angle. It's just the quality of the player makes you think he should score. And I, I would say if you were to sit down and have a chat with Gabriel Jesus this evening, he would say, yeah, I should have, I should have scored that. Um but like five and ten, if he scores or if he plays forty games this season is a twenty goal season, which I think would be reasonable because yeah. we are getting goals from elsewhere. Saka is now scoring. Martinelli has been scoring. I do think we need more goals, you know, from him obviously as the main striker. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's bad or anything like that. And um you know, he could stat pad a bit by scoring hat tricks against no mark teams, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's not taking penalties, so that's, I mean, that's something well. that the other players maybe have on him, particularly Harry Kane. I mean, when you look at who's top scorers in the Premier League at the moment, you've got above him Foden on six, Firmino on six, Mitrovic on seven, Tony on eight, Kane on nine, and then Haaland's you know out there on his own on fifteen. Mm. So yeah, it's easy. To, I mean, I think Gabriel Jesus could easily have a couple more goals to his name this season, and. Uh, yeah, we'd be in we'd be in pretty we'd be in a pretty good place, or he'd be in a pretty good place to try and hit twenty goals this season. I still think twenty goals is definitely a reasonable target for him. Yeah, I would say so. 
I think that'd be, I think that'd be fine, you know, in a first season and, and then you look to, to push on. So, um, Sam Colby, who's at Sam 12 Colby on Twitter says, does winning a game like this where we haven't played particularly well, but found a way to win, make you more confident, less confident due to a lack of control or no change in our chances of finishing comfortably in the top four and maybe pushing city all the way. I feel more confident that we're going to finish in the top four, for sure. Like I, I think the title stuff is, you know, it's going to float around while we're top of the league, but I don't really harbour any major hopes of that continuing all mm. the way through till May. But I genuinely look at this team now, and more so, more than I did, let's say, in pre-season, when we were doing our season previews, and sure. I was thinking, you know, we're going to be in a real battle to finish in the in the top four, you know, we're fifth, fourth, you know, it could be, go either way, but I didn't necessarily expect us to be, you know, opening the gap up that we've opened so far. So I would say I feel, I feel more confident. I mean, we've got, we've won games playing well, and now we've won a game playing badly and mm. we've won nine games out of 10. And ultimately that's going to stand us in really good stead. I think going to any opportunity we have right now to open up a gap on the other teams is incredible. So, um, yeah, there's a nice cushion between us and fourth place at the moment. Yeah. I mean, uh, Kunan Segal, who's at Kunal, or sorry, Kunal Segal, who's at Kunal underscore Segal 9 on Twitter said, what's more important, the four-point lead, the invincible status, or Tottenham being on equal points as City in second place? It's interesting. Isn't it? I think Tottenham have made their best ever start to a Premier League season as well, you know. They're still behind us. Though. <laughs> they're still behind <laughs> us. But I mean, what they would point to is the fact that, you know, their fans are saying there's, they're not even really playing very well or people don't seem to like mm. the style of football potentially. But I mean, it's it's two other teams there, City and Spurs, have made very, very good starts. There can't be that many seasons where three teams have managed to hit 23 points after 10 games. You sure. know, 2.3 points per game is a lot. Um Obviously, it's lovely that it's Invincibles Day early and we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, it's yeah. nice to be above Spurs and it's great being top of the league. I mean, all of these things are lovely, lovely things. Just layers um, of the cake. We don't have layers to... Layers, yeah. yeah. There's lots of cherries at the moment. Yeah, and uh, some icing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I've got a question from... This is from Prashant Patil, who is on Twitter at yeah underscore but underscore why underscore there's a lot of underscores there yeah but why um which is the best worst win you remember apart from today oh god i really hate questions like this because it forces you to dig right back into the yeah but there's nothing you, there you've clouded. <laughs> <It's all gone>. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing it's like what terrible performance but when do i just like in my mind i like, this is a perfect Tim Stillman question, where okay. Tim would be able to tell you, yeah, the the time we beat fucking Burnley, I don't know, you know, in 2006, sure. whatever. I Maybe the time we beat Burnley with that ridiculous Lauren Koscielny handball goal at the end that VAR would have... I don't know. I, okay. I honestly cannot remember... Uh, uh, yeah, no, I can't. I Do think, you have I think if James life? had been here, he'd have known to steer clear of this, asking you this question, wouldn't he? For sure. Um, but I hope, you know, <laughs> you, in a, in asking it, would have considered the fact that I would have said, and what about you? And I've got one. Oh, you've got one. Okay, go on. I think, I, I mean, 
there have been a lot of bad performances that Arsenal have come out on top of, but I think probably the epitome, I say bad, I mean, most under the cosh was mm. probably that cup winners cup final in 1994 when Palmer just battered Arsenal and it was a real one nil to the Arsenal victory. You know, we, Alan Smith scored a goal, sure. but we were under so much pressure and that was just heart stopping the whole way through. That's a good one. Um, I mean, 2005 FA Cup final, I guess, is another oh, one as well. Now, did you mention that? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a prime example. I mean that was a, I guess it it was a win on penalties. Yeah, you could you could also say, I mean, if you think over the two legs, the um, that Villarreal semi final in the Champions League, the second leg of that effectively was a win, but mm. that was just a horrible, horrible thing to watch and experience. The second leg was the one with the penalty, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was just. That was one of the most draining matches I've ever I've ever watched. Same, um, same, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I knew that guy was going to get a penalty. I just knew it. Raquel me. Yeah. yeah, but no, it wasn't Raquel me. It was a guy called oh the guy the guy who won the penalty, which who, definitely was wasn't a penalty. Marie, was it? I was going to say Pablo Marie, but I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, that was uh, that was one where if VAR was there today, I don't think I think we might have that overturned, and it saves us. A Jens Lehmann Superman moment because oh, you know Clichy barely did anything in that instance. Yeah, it was like the the penalty against Birmingham that time. Yeah, I mean, poor Gale, obviously <laughs> just targeted by referees. That guy's that's um, going to annoy me now because I can't remember. Should I give you a couple of minutes to go through the entire highlights and <laughs> uh, Champions League semi final? Um, bum bum bum. I'm going to have to go back and look at this in a, in okay. a different way. So let me ask you a question while I'm doing that. And uh, this will probably be our last question because we've got to get this out and uh, up for people. So this one is on the Discord. It comes from Wasted Youth AFC. And he said, how are we going to rotate our squad? We are leggy, but we need a win against PSV. So what do you think that squad looks like or that team looks like, especially with a generally speaking not so easy Arsenal opponent coming next, Southampton? Yeah. Like how strong one. do you think he's gonna go on Thursday? I think he'll go pretty strong and hope that he can wrap it up. Uh PSV are certainly no mugs. I mean they've just scored ten goals in two games over, you know, two matches with Zurich. Mm. So they're flying and they know that if they win, they're they're qualified, and obviously we do not want to play that extra round in the Europa League. So, winning the group is fundamental. Um, I think I think he'll go pretty strong, but I still think you know it'll be Enketier up front. I still think um, you know Reese Nelson and or Marquinhos will get a run out. Fabio Vieira will play. Mm -hmm. uh, I suspect you might see Granit Xhaka play, but. You know, it might maybe not Thomas Party. I don't know. I've, it, Thomas Party looked a little bit leggy again at the end today, whereas Shaq is a machine, man. He just keeps on yeah. going. And, you know, then it will be the the back four will get mixed up. Turner will be in there. Holding will be in there. Uh, Tierney will play. Cedric, I guess, is in with a shout, although the way that he's been kept at arm's length from the Any. pitch so far <laughs> suggests that. Uh, he's got his work cut out when he yeah. got Teta's trust back. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think we'll. I think it will be strong with an even stronger bench. 
It's a what's it a fairly early evening kickoff as well, isn't it? Six o'clock kickoff. So yeah, uh, Southampton then another two o'clock on Sunday jobs. So Southampton's not an easy place to to go. I mean, we've had some sort of real mixed results there over the years, and you never yeah. quite know what you're going to get from a Hassan Hootel side. I mean, some days they look like they'll batter anybody, and other days they look like they'll just roll over and take a paddling. Yeah. So. Um, you yeah. expecting any major changes for that? Not really, but I do think he'll be anxious to win this one. It doesn't mean we necessarily win the group because, um, as people pointed out to me, my maths was wrong on the blog this week where I said if we beat PSV, we'd win the group, which isn't true. We'd have 12 points. They'd have seven points. It would make it very difficult for them to win the group. Um, and I think that is a... That is a scenario that Mikel Arteta would prefer, you know, to have that gap. And, you know, even if in Holland the second leg doesn't go your way, you've then got a home game against FC Zurich mm. where realistically you could you could play a, a fairly changed first team and keep guys on the bench and everything else. So I think he will go quite strong. So I'm, I think we might see one or two players in that first team on uh, on Thursday that, that people might not expect. I went back, I had a look, it's Jose Marie was the diving fucker from Villarreal who, who went over and got them the penalty that Raquel May missed. Um, so there you go. There yeah. you go. All right. Right. I'm, Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. It feels like we've all been through something of a ringer today in terms of what football has put us through emotionally, not just in our game, but like you say, I was downstairs then, I had I had a bit of dinner and I was watching the, the last 25 minutes of the Liverpool game and I was way more invested in that than I wanted to be and that I thought I would be. But uh, yeah, nice to see uh, Liverpool win and obviously City lose a game and uh, everybody can enjoy our invincible status for another year. So there you go. Amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much. I hope James is having a lovely holiday. I hope he is too. Fucking holidays. Wow. <laughs> Middle of the season. That's what that's what the stars get, you know. They can just <laughs> swanny <laughs> off on holiday anytime they want. Anyway, I'm sure he is having a great time with the ham on ruffles. Uh, to you guys here, thank you very much, uh, as always, for being here. Thanks for listening and for subscribing. We will uh, talk to you in midweek. Obviously, there's plenty going on with the PSV game and lots more. So until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.